Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. I'm Teresa Blaze, and this is the Unresolved Life Podcast. Today, I have got Laura Lee Simmons, and we are going to talk about the need for church history. Honestly, why do we need to bother with it? Isn't it a bunch of dusty old sermons and books that don't really apply for today? We're going to talk about that. But before we do, I want to cover today's sponsor, and then we'll jump into the content. Today's sponsor is Freedom Mugs. You know, I've been talking about uh, needing to get some coffee, and uh, but what go- goes good with a cup of coffee? Well, a coffee cup, and you can get a really cool one. All different shape, uh, all different kinds, whatever fits your need, whatever, uh, uh, with all kinds of, you know, expressions of faith, expressions of patriotism, you know, you want to honor your mom or dad, we got mugs for that. Go to Freedom Mugs for F R E E D O M Mugs, M U G S dot com, and get yourself a coffee cup today. I've got Laura Lee Simmons. She is the host of the Church History Podcast. And she's got a book coming out with the, with, uh, around that same uh, theme and genre. And honestly, Laura Lee's just a really good friend. She's just been doing a lot of cool stuff. Laura Lee, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Well, we're so happy to have you. So, Laura Lee, uh, before we jump into the topic of church history, can you give the audience a brief overview of who you are, what you do, how you came to faith in Christ? Sure. Uh, I was actually adopted into a pastor's family when I was a month old. So I grew up in the church and became a Christian when I was five years old. So very young. And it was actually the same time I was five when I felt God was really putting an impact on my life that I was going to serve him. So I've really my entire life been dedicated to serving God. And church has always been a really important part of my life. When I was really young, uh, for Christmas, I would ask my parents for a flannel graph, and I would set up little clubs for the kids in the neighborhood, and I would tell them Bible stories. And then I loved missionary stories, and those were my heroes growing up. We didn't have a television when I was younger, so I didn't. My heroes weren't princesses and prince and you know, the fairy tales that most kids have growing up. My heroes growing up were Corey Tinboom, Mary Slessor, Amy Carmichael. These were the women that my parents taught me about as the heroes. And that really impacted my life. And I think that's something that unfortunately we haven't done for the next generation. There's so many women who have grown up and their heroes are the heroes that the world tells them are their heroes. Instead of giving them these amazing godly women from our own history who should be their heroes. So a couple of years ago, I realized that nobody, none of my friends and the people in the church knew any of the stories that I had grown up knowing. And so I started the Church History Podcast, which started with the life of Christ, because that's the beginning of the church. And I've just been going in chronological order and really in a storytelling format, because one of the things when I talk to people about history, their eyes roll right away because in school, history was memorize these facts, memorize these dates, memorize these names, and really boring. But history is not boring. History is these amazing stories. So I tell it in a storytelling format. 
and in chronological order. And uh, really, I just want people to know our history, but also to fall in love with the church. And if you study the church history, you will fall in love with the church. Uh, you and you and I have a similar love. Like I like, I really love hearing uh, stories of what God is doing. Um, one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to often is uh, Voice of the Martyrs. Yeah, because a good one. many, yeah, many times we hear stories of what God is doing, and it's really, really neat. But I'm, I'm like, I'm like you. I love history, and I'm just wondering because you know we're seeing such a. Um, divide almost between the people that don't know our history and the people that do. And here's my question. You know, we do here at Unresolved, we like to tackle the questions that no one wants to talk about. My question is this, why should we bother with church history when everything is going to crap around us here and now? Well, actually we should start with church history when everything is falling around behind us. Because right now we're in such a crazy time. And I hear people say, well, don't be so hard on the church during the situation. They're trying to figure out what to handle. Nothing like this has ever happened before in our lifetime, which is true. Nothing like this has ever happened before in our lifetime. But the church has 2,000 years of lifetimes. And this, everything we're going through has happened before. Even false doctrines in the church, they all go back to the same original false doctrines that came in at the very start of the church. So we look to church history, one, to know what to do because we can learn from their mistakes. And we can also learn from when they made right choices. When we go through church history, you know, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, therefore, seeing we also are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we have this race in front of us, but we know that we have those cloud of witnesses around us. We have those men and women who've gone before us. So we need to know what's going on. And everything, even the fact that we're in, if it's a real pandemic or there is chaos either way going around. Church has been through that multiple times. So we can look and see how they handled those situations. There's also, there's a lot of false doctrines going around right now. You know, I used to have a history teacher that would say, those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. And he said it so many times, like he would just start saying the sentence and we would all groan, right? But it's so true. And today our churches, they're facing these doctrinal questions, these false teachings. They're the exact same heresies that the early church dealt with. They had different names. We use words like Gnosticism, you know, back in the day. And now we don't necessarily use that word anymore, but it's the same teaching. So when you study church history and then you see this false doctrine, like, oh, I know what that false doctrine is because, you know, I learned about Origen who attacked that false doctrine, or I know about Justin Martyr who talked about that. So we would know how to face the situation we're in today if we knew our history. It reminds me, um, you know, in Hebraic thought, it says uh, uh, the idea is that things are cyclical. What happened before will happen again, you know. Um, and 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 so, for example, uh, there's a belief that what's going to happen in Revelation ties back 
to uh, the plagues of Egypt and what happened with them. What happened before will happen again. So I, you know, yeah, I can totally see. So let me ask you this. What are some of the biggest issues that you see right now that need to be confronted, whether it be false doctrine or otherwise, that we could take a page out of um, some of our, our uh, the book of, of, of the church before us? What, what is like some of the biggest things in your mind that are like glaring, but we've already confronted this in the past? Um, well, there's oh, like there's so many, so many, many, many things for sure. Um, one of the things that um, that we're looking at right now, obviously, is you know, do we close down the churches because the government told us to? And one of the early churches, almost immediately, even even while the apostles were alive, but right afterwards, it, it grew a lot, and the Romans were telling the church that they needed to put incense on the fire. Now, what was happening at Rome during that time was there was a famine, there was a plague, there were wars going on that Rome had always defeated everyone around them, but suddenly they were unable to defeat everyone around them. And so people began to say, the reason that all of these things are happening, the reason we're having famine, poor weather, plagues, wars, is because the church isn't putting incense on the fire. So what the Romans said to the church was, okay, you can have your church, you can worship Jesus, you don't even have to say anything, but we, all you need to do is just throw a little incense on the fire to show that you are part of us, you're part of our culture, and that we won't have this divide anymore, and then we'll leave you alone. It's just, just take a pinch of incense and throw it on the fire and everything will be good. But the church refused to do that. Now, if you think about the way the church is handling the situation we're in right now, and if you put that thought back into that time period, imagine if they had said, well, listen, people are scared. People have fears. We need to be kind and compassionate and understanding. It's just a little pinch of incense to throw on the fire. And that way we're loving. That way we're showing love to the community. And then the community won't hate us. But that's not what the church said. The church said, no, we will not throw even one pinch of incense onto the fire, not even one. And because of that, they were fed to lions. They were beheaded. They were burned alive. And But what happened during that time is instead of the church falling apart, and being destroyed, it grew and it flourished. So right now we're in this time period where people are saying, listen, other people are afraid. There's a lot of fear right now. Just do your part, put your you know, arrows on your church so people can walk in a certain direction when they're in church, which I know lots of churches where I live have arrows you have to follow if you go to church and walk around in their way that they're telling you to walk. You know, Stay six feet apart while you're at church. Wear masks while you're at church register and only allow a certain number of people while you're at church. Maybe don't sing. There's some churches that don't have any singing and they're saying, well, we're just doing our part. And it's a way to show kindness and love, but it's not, it's not a way to show kindness and love. And we can say, you can stand for truth. You can tell the government they don't get to control how our church services work and they will hate us and they will attack us for that. But we know Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we know that the church will survive. 
we can have the courage that the early church had. One of the stories that I was just looking over today was Justin Martyr. And Justin Martyr, he did not grow up in a Christian home. He actually grew up, his father was called in after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. His father was the one who came in to rule over and to make sure Jerusalem, you know, became calm after all the chaos that went on. That's where he grew up. And he studied philosophy and he found no peace. And he was walking along the beach one day as an adult and a man on the beach started talking to him about all different types of philosophy and told him that Jesus was the one who had the answer for everything. And he began to study the life of Christ and he became a Christian. He was one of the most powerful Christians at that time because he stood up against all of the philosophy, all of the teachings that were happening at that time. And he began to debate other people because he came from their life. So he knew what they were talking about. Well, people wanted to kill him. So they had a big debate and they invited him to this debate. Well, he came to the debate, but it was a trick because at the start of the debate, oh, before we start this debate, let's quickly throw some incense on the fire. Well, he wasn't going to throw that incense on the fire. And so he was beheaded before the debate even started because he refused to throw that incense on the fire. These are the men who we can look to today and we can see their courage. I was just listening to uh, a podcast uh, by Liberty Council, and they're talking about a church in Maine that is um, that has been fighting the whole uh, lockdown scenario, being told how many people can be in the church and everything. And, you know, the pastor out there has uh, uh, stepped up and said, no, actually, we're not doing this. And, you know, we're bringing legal suit and this and that. And and I think about what you're talking about with like uh uh, Justin Martyr. I mean, that had to take a lot of guts. It really did. And I think that a little bit of backbone is what we're like, we're lacking it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hard pressed to find very many pastors who won't cave in to the woke cancel culture, uh, COVID, 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 Kool-Aid slurping mentality. Yep. Especially here in Canada, there's it seems here in Canada, we basically have two extremes. We have those who pastors who are standing up and saying, no, you can lock me up in prison. You can take my church away. A good friend of mine who's a pastor, just about two or three days ago, the court came down and he owes like $82,000 right now in, in fines for being a pastor and keeping his church open. They've taken his property away. They meet in the parking lot now because they still refuse to close their church. And there's another good pastor. There's a couple of those here in Ontario and a few out in Alberta, but just a few. So there's those, the other, and every, all the rest are at the other extreme, which are, we obey every single thing the government tells us to do. And we embrace it wholly. And if you complain about it, it's just because you're not a good person and you're a conspiracy theorist. There's really not a, a lot in between. So it's disappointing. It's disappointing as a member of the church that that is where most of our pastors are today. You know, it's funny. I was just listening to uh, the Hagman report and uh, he made a comment. What's the difference between a system, uh, a um, conspiracy theory and truth about six months? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, and, 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 and I'm not wanting to go political because that's not the point of the show, but 
you know, uh, give it about six months. And the things that everybody said were conspiracy theories will probably end up being true. Yeah. And then no one apologizes to us. (laughs) If we're looking at this from a church standpoint, because I know for a fact we're, we're about ready to see, especially, you know, we're going to have flu season coming up and you know, they're going to use that for, um, uh, getting more lockdowns and more mandates and more uh, violations of constitutional rights here in the U.S. And uh, do you see any hope that the church will wake up or do we really just need to buckle down and go, okay, those that are choosing to fight this are going to fight and those that aren't are going to pretty much uh, be walking doormats. Um, I think what we're going to have see happen is that the church is going to be purified. So what happens when something is purified? You know, if you, you put something into fire and all of the bad things burn off and you just have the gold left over, well, it's smaller, but it's refined and it's pure. So what I believe is going to happen is God right now is putting us through a test, through a purification, and those who are truly part of the church, because the church Just because you have a membership at a church doesn't mean you are actually part of the church. You are part of the church. If you have confessed your sins to God and you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your only way of salvation and you believe in him, then you are part of the church. So I think right now we're going through a purification. And then once we have been purified and once the true church is standing apart from the false church, then there will be persecution. But with persecution, always comes growth. The two areas of the world right now where their church is growing the fastest is China and Iran. Those are the two places with the most growth right now in church. Those are the two places with the most persecution. So, you know, the Bible says, choose you this day who you will serve. We're going to have to make that choice. And it's easy to make that choice. Oh, yeah, I I choose to serve Jesus when there's no consequence. There's no consequence if you choose to serve Jesus, then that's easy. But when it's, are you going to choose Jesus, even though that might mean you lose everything, are you still going to choose Jesus? When you make that choice to follow Jesus Christ, knowing that means that you lose everything, you will be a more passionate Christian and you will be more on fire for God. And I think that is why the church in China and the church in Iran are growing so fast because once they made the choice, to become a Christian and serve God, and they lost everything, including their family, then they have nothing else to lose, and they're going to be more on fire for God. And I, I'm reminded, it's like, well, what does the Bible say is going to happen? It says um, that the church is going to stand before him a purified bride. You know, and 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 we, I mean, we know, and 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 you know, we know that we're at the end of the end days. You know, I don't, (laughs) there are things happening that I never would have imagined before. And now we're seeing it. We're seeing wars, rumors of wars, kingdom against kingdom, which is actually, when you look at that word, it means ethnicity or, or race. So ethnicity against ethnicity. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Nation against nation. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there going, Lord, beam me up. There's no intelligent life down here. <laughs> you know? um, I think we can be also, we should be praying for our church leaders 
but there's multiple ways of praying for our church. We need to pray that our church leaders will have courage to stand up and do the right thing. But it's also biblical to pray that the pastor and the church leaders who should not be in the pulpit will be removed from the pulpit. That's also biblical. There's going back to church history. There was a man named Arius. He was one of the worst people for bringing in false doctrine. He was very strong, very popular. And there was a man named Alexander who really fought against him. And at the Council of Nicaea, Arius was declared a heretic. And, you know, they went with Alexander and his view of God. Arius was teaching that Jesus was not God, that he was a separate person from God, that he was not deity. Well, after a while, Arius, he became more popular again. And this was during Constantine's rule. And he really buttered up to Constantine. He taught that Jesus prepared, uh, Jesus was preparing us for the kingdom, but Constantine was going to bring the kingdom in, that he was the final Messiah, that the oh, kingdom was coming. Oh, good God. Yes. So Constantine loved that, obviously. So he ordered for Arius to be reinstated. Well, Arius was so, everyone, the church was so excited to have Arius back, all the people who were followers of him. Well, the night before he was going to be reinstated, it was a Saturday night, Alexander went into the church and he laid on the altar and cried and prayed that either God would kill him, Alexander, so he didn't have to see this false teaching being taught in the pulpit, or that he would not allow Arius to preach. Well, the next day, there was this huge parade. Arius is coming to church. There is trumpeters, everything. It was this amazing, a big event. Everyone was so excited. Arius, all of a sudden, he's not feeling very good. And his stomach starts hurting. And it gets to the point where he has to stop his chariot and get out and run into this house to relieve himself. Well, he ends up bleeding out and dies right there in this house. And he never makes it to the pulpit. And that, to me, is such a powerful story. Because Alexander was praying, God, do not allow this false doctrine to come into the church. And Arius, who he had spent many, many years fighting with and debating with, wasn't changing his viewpoint. And he was coming to the pulpit and God stopped him from being in the pulpit. So we can be praying that God will turn the hearts of our pastors, that they will have courage. But if they're not going to have their hearts turned, if they're not going to have courage, if they're not going to stand for truth, we can pray that God will remove them and they will no longer be able to preach in our pulpit. You know, you remind me of something. Um, you know, when we do our, our morning devotionals uh, and we're praying for the leadership in our country, one of the things that Mike and I pray, and I believe this is a biblical deal. And I think, guys, um, you know, if you are like us and you want to see truth brought back, one of the things that we pray is God draw our leadership to repentance or remove them from power and put someone godly in place. You know, that's what we're talking about, guys. I, I think Laura Lee is onto something here because if we don't step up and honestly say enough is enough, we're not going to allow uh, wolves and sheep's clothing to enter into our churches anymore. If we don't step up, we're going to lose what ground we have. And we don't have very good ground as it is. Laura Lee, let me ask you this. With that kind of situation in mind, what is your gut? Do you think we're going to, do you think that the church will step up and, 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 and clean house? Because the Bible says that judgment begins in the household of God. 
Do you think it's possible the church will step up and clean house? Or do you think it's going to take an act of God to fix this? Right now, well, I mean, I can only say Canada because that's where I live. I I can hope that the church will step up and clean house. I, I don't see that happening. But what I do see happening in Canada is the underground church, the home churches are really growing because the lay people, so it's not even the pastors, it's not the people who've been to Bible college and have the degrees and all the it's just the person in the congregation who's been studying their Bibles and reading their Bibles and knows that what's going on is not right. They're meeting together now in homes all across Canada. And I am connected in with these networks. There is, I gotta be very careful how much I say, but I know of families who have farms who've opened up their barns and people have been meeting there. And it's gotten so big that some of these meetings that are happening in barns are larger than the churches. There's many, many homes where people are meeting. People are becoming Christians. There's baptisms happening. I know of somebody who did baptisms in their bathroom, in the bathtub, because they're home churches now. So I think that perhaps the corporate church might not survive, but I think the home churches will. We may know that the church won't die. That's impossible. You can't destroy the church. Look how many people have tried to destroy the church. You can't do it, but perhaps the corporate church might not survive. And I know in America, the home church movement is growing quite a bit as well, because there's a lot of Marxist teachings happening in the pulpits right now. And there's people who can sense that and see that, and they don't want to be part of that anymore. So I do think perhaps the home church is going to end up being a future. I think you might be right. And if you, and if I were, you know, if you look over in the church in China, they are, um, they're meeting in house churches in the unregistered churches. They're meeting in house churches and they're growing. There's a, and be very careful here as I speak as well, but there's a situation that I know of where there was a Canadian missionary who went to China and decided to get involved in a state church, you know, thought, oh, I've met some of these pastors from the state church and I think that their heart's in the right place and and I don't see a reason to ostracize them and was connecting with the people of the state church, talking to them, getting to know them. Well, the underground church basically kicked him out of China because he had come as a missionary and they said, we don't want you here anymore because if you are going to have anything to do with the state church, then we can't trust you. So in China, they've really drawn a line and said, if you are going to be part of the church that follows the laws of the state, then you can have nothing to do with us. So there might come a time in Canada and the United States where that line has to be drawn. And it's if you're a pastor of a state church, then we can have nothing to do with you. I think it's a strong clearing call. Where do we stand? Where do we where do we put our plant plant our flag? Um I know as for this ministry um, and the things that uh, God has called us into, it's Christ first, everything else second. You know, one of the pastors that I was talking about that really has stood strong and has faced a lot of persecution, somebody from the news organizations had interviewed him and they said, listen, most pastors are saying 
it's okay if we pause our worship time for a little while. That's a sacrifice we can make. How do you answer that? And he said, it's not our worship. You can't say we can pause our worship because the worship doesn't belong to us. You, we have no right to pause it. The worship belongs to Jesus. It's his worship. We can't pause something that doesn't belong to us. And that to me was really powerful because that is it, the whole thing. The church is the bride of Christ. And so absolutely, we cannot give the bride of Christ over to the government and let the government have control over her. Amen. 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 You know, and I'm reminded, it's like, you know, if you think about it, do the angels stop worshiping just because, you know, uh, no, they cry day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And maybe part of what we're talking about is that the church needs to reclaim the fear of God. Oh, yes. There is no fear of God anymore. We have spent the last couple decades only talking about God's love. And God's love is amazing. What what is love? God is love. His love is so pure, but he is so much more than love. And we've done nothing but talk about God's love to the point where basically people picture him like Santa Claus, but they don't talk about him, God as holy, God as just. You know, every time someone comes in contact with God or an angel in the Bible, what do they do? They fall on their face in fear and trembling. John, John, when he saw the glorified Jesus in Revelation, he had laid on Jesus' lap, right? In the Bible, in the in the um, Gospels. When he saw Jesus in Revelation, he fell to the ground as if he was unconscious. That's how afraid he was. We need a little bit more of that fear of God. Well, Lorley, I think that's a good place that we need to end. I think you brought a very sobering message, but I think it's one that we all need to hear. If someone is listening right now and they want to take another step and they don't know what to do, what would you say to them? If they want to take another part of you. Like if they want to, um, if they're listening and they're going, what do I do now? Yes. Well, if you don't have a church where you can go, then you can start by just opening up your own home. I'm sure you can find people around you who are like-minded, even if it's just one or two other families, and start meeting together and start studying God's Word together. You need to be in communion with other Christians. And then as far as church history, if you're like, wow, I actually don't know anything about church history, you should. You sh- I, I'm, I feel like Christians are the only ones who don't know their history. If you talk to a Muslim, they know the history of Islam. They know every battle Islam has ever fought, but for some reason, Christians don't do that. So obviously you can go to my website and see my podcast. And then I have a book series that's coming out. The first book should be available next week, which is the time of Jesus all the way until Constantine. And then the next book coming out after that, will have, you know, the crusades and inquisitions and things like that. So the first book should be out pretty soon. And I tell it in a way that's, storytelling format so it's not hard read it's a very very easy read the type of book you can sit down and read the whole book you know in one day so if you're interested in church history you can mess you can find out more on my website orleysiemens.com excellent excellent well guys i think this has been a very sobering reminder it's a little bit uh off the beaten path of what we normally discuss but i think this is something that we need You know, we can't understand the things that we're wrestling with currently. 
if we don't look at the past. Our church, our 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 our, our history, is rife with uh, both quality men and women who stood up for Christ, and also those who did not. As for me and my house, and as for this ministry, we're standing up for the Lord. I get it. There's a lot going on, but we can still hold the line because guess what? We win in the end. Laura Lee, thank you for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. Well, guys, I'm Teresa Blaze. This is the Unresolved Life Podcast. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.